Okay. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Journey. Today I have with uh, me someone who is very close to me because her daughter is very close to me. I'm going to let her formally introduce herself, but we have the lovely Miss Diane with us today. So how are you? I'm good. So just start off by telling the listeners who are you. Well, you already know my name is Diane Vasquez. Too much. Um, I'm 40 years old. I was born in Lower Massachusetts. Um, came here at the age of five. Yeah, what are, anything you want to share? Right? Um, okay, that's all. So, um, well, before I get started, I asked you to be a guest on the show because um, I work with your daughter for the last three, three and a half years, and she talks about you all the time. And uh, through everything that she's told me that you guys have been through, what you go through on a day-to-day basis, you continue to conquer it and go through it and just survive. And I feel like that's a story that needs to be told. So I wanted you to come today and just share your journey. So what has the journey been like for Diane Vasquez? Like I said, I came to Philadelphia, to live in Philadelphia at the age of five, but I was born in Lower Massachusetts. Um, one night, my mom decided that, you know, she had enough of my father's abuse and hitting her and going through all the chaos that she would go through with him, with the cheating, especially the hit, the um, abuse, the physical abuse. Mm-hmm. So one night, I don't know if he was at work or if he just didn't come home because he would not come home sometimes days in a row, nights in a row. And I remember us just, her packing, I was very young. I wasn't even five yet. I was just turning five when I came here, when I came to Philadelphia. And um, in between us leaving Boston and coming to Philadelphia, I'm sure a lot happened in between that. Mm-hmm. I can't really remember. Um, we didn't have nowhere to um, live when we came to Philadelphia because my mom didn't have any family here. Mm-hmm. I remember bouncing from house to house, and we ended up living in this house that now I know was, I think, like somewhat abandoned, mm-hmm. like... It was not a very good condition. And he found out where we were. And in the middle of the night, um, he broke in. And he almost killed my mom. He beat her pretty bad. And people did call the cops. Because I think we went, my brother was a lot older than us. He ran out trying to get help. And by the time the cops came, he was gone. And we moved to another place where it didn't look as bad as that house did. Mm-hmm. It actually looked like it was livable. It wasn't the best, but it was more livable. And it continued. He was always fine where she was at. And the abuse continued for a couple years. I remember her putting, like, she would board the um, windows and put four-by-fours on the backyard. And we would sleep in the living room area. And she would put, like, the sofa on the door so mm-hmm. he couldn't get in. And then it stopped when um, she met a man, and my mom started dealing with him. And it stopped because 
obviously the man that my mom dealt with confronted my father mm -hmm. um, a few times, and it stopped. Like, that's when it really stopped. But you never know who who's the real monster until they actually enter your home. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you think, you know, you're getting rid of a terrible person and someone even more horrible comes mm -hmm. into your um, life. And they don't always come looking horrible. They come looking mm -hmm. very pleasant and nice and helpful. And he actually took us out of the house we were living in to a better house, a better neighborhood. Um, my mom was now mortgaging a home. Um, he had a lot of money. <clears throat> and when at this point, I'm no longer five. I'm older now, mm -hmm. as this went on for a couple of years. And I never, we never wondered where the money came from. We just knew he left the house. He came home. We had money. We had, we had mm -hmm. no needs or wants for anything. But in that same token, he, um, he would do certain things that um, I think my mom, I think sometimes my mother noticed things and just turned like a blind eye to it because mm -hmm. of how much financial help she was receiving mm -hmm. from him. And when you're that young and you see what your mom already went through, you don't try to even damage that or you try to just, you don't want your mom to go through any more pain or any mm -hmm. more hurt. But at the same time, you're going through stuff that you shouldn't be going through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he lived with, well, we lived with him for a couple years, and then um, he gets locked up mm -hmm. because, you know, he sold a lot of drugs. And um, that's when I feel like my mom became, like, hopeless, completely hopeless, and um, got so used to having that financial support, mm -hmm. the money to do this, the money to pay this, and... She didn't have, she had a language barrier. She still had a language barrier to, to get her a job. And that's why we went to house to house and ended up with someone like him because mm -hmm. he was able to present her with that financial help. And um, once she's stuck, once she's again on her own, she was unable to maintain the bills, maintain the house, the mortgage, us. And um, we lived in that home for about, I'm going to say three to four years without utilities, without, you know, water, mm -hmm. light. It was just basically a roof over our head. Mm -hmm. She would find other ways to cook and um, have, like, candles around the house and kerosene heaters. Mm -hmm. So I would go to school smelling like kerosene. Mm -hmm. And um, and that lasted until she lost the house and she had to reach out to her um, brother, which now was living in New Jersey in Canada, New Jersey. Um, but at this point, I'm like 15 years old. Mm -hmm. And at this point, there's other things going on in my home where she has isolated herself to the point where she's so depressed and so isolated in her room that she doesn't see what's going on in her own home. Mm -hmm. And my brother was a couple years older than us, um, but about seven years older than us. And things were just happening that was not supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. So once she moved to um, Camden, once we moved to Camden, my sister had already had a daughter, was pregnant with another child, and um, things were not right, and I felt like it was time for me to go. And so 
At 15, I just woke up one morning and I left. Then after that, um, I stood away for almost a year, um, slept in Huntington Park. Um, I ran away for a very bad year. It was 94. Mm -hmm. It was like a really bad storm. Mm -hmm. So I almost froze to death with my daughter's father in a truck. Um, he also ran away with me. He had no need to run away, but mm -hmm. he just didn't want, want me by myself, I guess. And I wish I would have picked a, su a summer, <laughs> a summer to run away. But it was just I couldn't, couldn't do it no more. I couldn't stay home no more. So what was it like? Um, so you started to talk about your daughter, who is the reason why I know you. So what was it like once you left? What you know, what happened between that time of uh, being in that environment to going on your own and still being so young? I made sure that then, I made sure that I was safe. Mm -hmm. um, I made sure that I had food. I made sure that I was able to actually get a job at 15 with one of my cousins lied about my age. Well, the actual person that hired me knew my age, mm -hmm. but they lied for me and they let me mm -hmm. um, go with them traveling. I was working with the um, Reeling Brothers because my um, cousin was a girl dancer in one of the um, performance. So I did that for a summer. Um, that actually got me more money than I ever saw before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I was able to pay for a room that was like $50 a week. Back then it was a lot cheaper than it is today. And I did that for a while. And I actually went back on with them maybe like twice or three times, mm -hmm. different times. And um, I don't know, I just felt safer not being home. And I'd rather have faced whatever I did face not being home. Mm -hmm. Not saying that it was perfect because it wasn't. I've had to have stepped in Huntington Park or um, dealt with whatever I dealt with than do what I was dealing at home. Um, so at what age did you become a parent? Um, I became a parent at 17, got pregnant at 16. Me and, me and my daughter's father separated a month, almost two months before I know I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. I was about three months pregnant before I even knew what was going on with my body. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a 17. So how was that experience, you know, going through all of that and now having to figure out how to be a parent on top of it? Surprisingly, I was happy. Mm -hmm. I was happy. I was excited. My mom begged me not to have her to have an abortion because in Cooper Hospital... They, that's the first thing they, they, they ask you, you know, you don't have to have the child, mm -hmm. you're, you're young, you don't have to pay for it. And I was like, oh, no, I'm going to have my, um, my child. I'm going to have my baby. Mm -hmm. And I was getting treated in Cooper Hospital, and she was actually supposed to be a vegetable baby. Mm -hmm. she, they said that she had, it showed on the ultrasound that she had, like, a hole in her spine. Mm -hmm. They ran all these tests, and... Um, they wanted me to terminate my pregnancy. I didn't. I said, you know, if 
that's what God wants, and that's what he's going to put apart. Like, if that's what I have to, um, if that's what it's going to be, that's what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And you don't, my mom, I told my mom, you don't have to help me. My daughter's grandma will help me, and mm-hmm. I'll you know, do what I got to do. I was determined to have her. I was very, very excited to have her. Okay. So, so Tom, talk more about the experience of figuring out yourself as, and also, you know, being a mother. Um, it came easy, it's not easy, but it came, I just wanted to be better than my mom. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds crazy because everybody says I just want to be better than my mom. But my mom, her childhood, I mean, on her defense, her childhood was no better than mine's. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't know what love or hugs or, you know, or compassion was. Mm-hmm. Their parents were so cold and so brutal. And... They, they're um, a family of 18 siblings. Mm. So I can only have imagine. And my grandfather was a very bad drunk, very mean drunk. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to do better. I didn't know how I was going to do better or um, what what was it. I, was, I just knew what I wasn't going to do. Mm. If that make, I just knew what I wasn't going to do certain things or allow certain things. That listen. Sometimes that's what it takes. So, talk about your life moving forward um, as the years progressed as being a mother, um, even you know up to how life is now for you. Well, I was ecstatic about having my daughter, but I didn't have no guidance. I didn't have no one to really turn to, and some of the people that did try to give me advice, like my daughter's grandma. She was just so old school for me. And I was just like, life doesn't work like that. And, you know, I didn't want to listen to nothing she said. And I tell you what, if I would have listened to half of what she said, mm-hmm. I probably would have not most definitely ended up with some of the predicaments that I did, which getting pregnant mm-hmm. again the second time by someone I barely knew. Yeah. And um, this pregnancy was totally different. I did not want the pregnancy. I did not want the baby. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have an abortion. I was determined to have an abortion, and my daughter's grandma prescribed me not to, that she would take the baby and, mm-hmm. you know. But once I went through the pregnancy, um, I had him a month, I had my son a month early, at seven months and some days. And um, I did not give him to my daughter's grandma, but I still did not want him. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Um, I didn't show him affection. I only cared for him as I breastfed him, I changed them, I bathed them, and put him right back down. Mm-hmm. Not like with my daughter. I was very affectionate to my daughter, and that lasted about three years. Mm-hmm. I had a, Then I had another child. I'm 19 now with someone I barely knew. And um, before we get to him, my last faith father, um... When I got pregnant with my middle child, the father didn't want nothing to do with no pregnancy, no baby. He said he already had a child. Um, that's the first time I actually, um, actually, went, like felt abuse from a man. Um, he actually, I probably said a few things out of my mouth that was incorrect. But that's the first time a man ever put his hands on me. That's mm-hmm. the first time he almost threw me. He almost threw me out a third um, floor window. Um, 
But I left. Mm -hmm. I was okay. I was like, I left. I still was, you know, I moved. I didn't let him know where I was at. Um, and for my daughter's father, the crazy part about that was I was the abuser. Mm -hmm. I busted his nose. I would bust his lip. I would hit him all the time. And I was just so angry. But I left them. That's why we really left. And that's why we really broke up because I used to <clears throat> abuse him and he would never touch me. Mm. Then it was done to me and I'm like, wow, that was just, you know, God, karma, whatever mm -hmm. you want to say. It was just like, so I left the situation and now I have a child, one child and pregnant. And then I meet my third baby father while I was pregnant. And um, he was... Um, okay while my pregnancy um, he didn't we didn't deal with each other mm -hmm. and like, uh, like we didn't move in together mm -hmm. right away or nothing we actually moved in after um, he moved in he actually got me an apartment but he didn't move in with me he actually did get me the apartment mm -hmm. but he didn't move in with me and um, after I had my second child a little bit later, I got pregnant by my third child. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. That's where everything changed. Um, his family said that I wasn't faithful. I wasn't pregnant by him. I was pregnant by my son's father because everything happened so quick. Mm -hmm. And that's when he actually decided to pop up a few times and found out where I was living. Mm -hmm. So that was a very hard pregnancy. He broke my nose while I was pregnant. He... This was the worst. I mean, just the worst person ever. And then once my son was born, I had money saved that he didn't know I had. Mm -hmm. And I left. So what was it like? What was the, you know, the biggest, you know, aha moment, if you could say, going through all of that in such a short period of time? There was no aha moment yet. I didn't get an aha moment because when I left, um, I thought my aha moment would have been I left him, I got my apartment, mm -hmm. I started getting my GED, I got a part-time job, the kids were in daycare. Mm -hmm. um, one night I'm doing GED homework and he was about almost a year and he was inside the crib and my other two were running around, and he actually flipped the crib because he would he was mm -hmm. at that age where he could rock on it and mm -hmm. move, and he hit his eye, and it swelled up. Mm -hmm. I didn't have no one to turn to. I didn't have my mom. She was not around. Um, I ended up calling my ex, his grandma, my ex mother in law, and she told me everything's gonna be okay. His eye is fine. It's just a little bit swollen. She told me let me take him for a couple of nights couple days, mm -hmm. give you some time to catch up on your homework, catch up, you know, on the housework, you know, just cleaning up, just mm -hmm. organizing. I said, okay, that sounds great, but just keep in contact with me. Let me know his eye went down and everything. She told me I didn't have to take him to the hospital or nothing, that he's fine. And I'm 19, you know, I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. I, don't, I don't know nothing. Yeah. I'm like, okay, I was just so scared of going to the hospital and think I did it or I'm young. So she took pictures a few days later. Go to court, like a couple of weeks later, not even, mm. go to court. And um, I had a choice to fight, but with what? 
So so talk about so what happened so when what you said court so what happened in between her taking him and then she never gave him back to me. Okay. Between losing my son and me turning twenty five and something happening at twenty five mm-hmm. from the from twenty five to almost thirty five, mm-hmm. my life was hell. Mm-hmm. Not my kids. Not the desire of wanting to be a mother a good mother, mm-hmm. nothing could keep me from wanting to be numb, from wanting not to feel all those, all that sadness, mm-hmm. all that anger. So that's when I, that's when I turned to, you know, drugs. Mm-hmm. And um, something happened at 35, well, 30 or 35, something happened around that time where I got tired. And I went in and out of mental hospitals and thought that that could be, you know, that could help me. Mm-hmm. But it didn't help me because I wasn't doing it for myself. Yeah. So I guess one day I just woke up and I said, um, enough. I was going to do it for me, not my kids, not my family. And I never did drugs again. And I'm happy. So just to backtrack a little bit. So. You know, what ended up happening with your, your youngest son, that relationship? That's the aha moment. Yes. After he became a young teen, he would look for me. Mm-hmm. They couldn't stop him. Mm-hmm. And even today, he lives with me. Mm-hmm. And he loves me. And he knew the truth two years ago that the grandma did have pictures of mm-hmm. him in his eye. And that's how she was able to take him from me. Not that I gave him up like mm-hmm. all along. Yeah. And he knew she was lying because he knows his grandma. Yeah. So when he brought that up, why you took pictures of my eye if my mom gave me up? Mm-hmm. And that was an aha moment. And just the fact that he loved me throughout everything, everything they said yeah. about me. And yes, that's me for me. He loves me unconditionally. That's good. So I know because you've come to uh, my cafes and you've actually performed some of your poetry, but how has, you know, writing and, you know, Doing these different things that you know might not be typical for you, how has that helped you? A lot. The first time I went to your poetry, I just was like, I went home and I started writing again because when I was younger, I used to do poems, mm-hmm. and it just it does a lot. I mean, just writing your feelings and your anger and all your emotions on paper, you, you're able to let go of a lot of stuff mm-hmm. and move forward and not let it hurt you and. Not let it bother you. So I love it. That's good. So, you know, hope to see you again in another cafe. (laughs) Um, But uh, I want to go to the next question. So I believe that uh, everyone carries an invisible backpack. There's, you know, something, something, a song, a quote, a scripture, a person that is helping you get through this journey. So, you know, what has been in your invisible backpack? My kids. Mm -hmm. Um, They've been there since... I mean, I was 16 when I got pregnant by my daughter. And the desire to be better than my mom, mm-hmm. the desire to be a good mother, protect my children, that's your job as a mom, to make sure your kids are protected at all times. Even when, at my worst, I never allowed anything to happen to my children. Mm-hmm. At my worst, never did my child or any of my children come to me and tell me, Mommy, this happened to me when you was high, mm-hmm. or this happened when you wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So I think my kids kept me just, even through my worst, darkest moments, they kept me going. 
That's good. Just to backtrack before I end, so, you know, what was, you know, how was your relationship with your mom now? It took a lot of um, work on my ha- on my behalf and a lot of forgiving on my behalf. Mm-hmm. I love her. I don't like her, <laughs> but I love her. I'm trying to like her and mm-hmm. enjoy her and try to enjoy her before she's gone. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to have no regrets. Got it. That's a good thing to live by, you know, that the fact that you through everything that you've gone through, you're able to, you know, have that mindset and to make the conscious effort, you know. A lot of people, we miss out on that. It's because we're so stuck on, you know, I don't like the person, so that's that. But you have to realize that there's something bigger and something greater that, Mm -hmm. you know, has to push you and propel you into, you know, getting past it. And if it's never for the person, it's for yourself. So Absolutely. Yeah, that's a big thing. So, um Everyone has a different, you know, journey, a different path that they have to go through. But some people may go through similar situations as you. So before we close out, what are some encouraging or empowering words that you can tell someone who might be going through something like you have gone through? Protect your home. Know who you let in your home. A child molester could be your brother, your father, your uncle, aunts. It's not always a stranger. Mm -hmm. I would say always believe your children. And protect your home so you can so your children be protected. And also, do not stay in an abusive relationship because your kids will mimic that and look for it as they grow older. Because that's all I encountered growing up, men that were no good. So I just want to say thank you. I know you're typically not the person to, you know, share or do all this. I just want to say thank you for trusting me to help tell you, share your journey with other people. And thank you again, listeners, for listening to another episode of The Journey. Life is a journey. It won't always be easy, but it's one worth taking. So thank you for taking the journey with us.